0: What's good, Alaska? This is Scott Lebeck, and you're listening to the Daily Dose of the Must Read Alaska podcast. That's right. We're back again, and today I am honored to have our fearless leader, Suzanne Downing here. Suzanne, how are you doing?
1: It's a beautiful day in Anchorage, and it has stopped snowing, thank goodness, because I know there's, well, no, it's still snowing. Never mind. Cancel that thought. (laughs) It is still snowing, and there's 18 inches on the ground, and we're all snowed in, but we're loving it. it.
0: It doesn't get any better. I just got back from Florida, and it was the exact opposite. It was 80 degrees, palm trees, sun, and uh, what a diametric opposite type of environment to be in. But I'm glad to be back, and we've got plenty to talk about today. But I just want to do a little celebration with our listeners, our readers, and our supporters. Listen, we have got over 40,000 downloads in a year's time from this podcast. That's incredible. Can we celebrate that?
1: Well, I don't know. Do you have like like a celebration sound effect you can put in there?
0: I'm, I'm going to put it in there today. We will We will Woo-hoo. have a round of applause for us. And, and really, it's not really us. It's you guys. It's our listeners. Again, it's our supporters. And of course, it's always our readers that help make Mustery Alaska the special um, place it is. It's, it's a news outlet that was started by you, Suzanne, uh, a while ago to try to get a much better, well-rounded view than what we were getting from mainstream media. And it has just blown up. And listen, guys, on our Facebook We're sitting right now at 23,000 likes, we're trying to get to 25,000 and we need you guys to do that by the end of the month. We have just been, it's been an incredible growth. I mean, Suzanne, you're the founder, you're the person that we ride the coattails on. Tell us a little, how exciting is this?
1: Well, it is pretty neat because I was looking at the metrics this morning and um we are uh, we we are just uh almost at 20 million all time views of the Must Read alaska site and it's really only been up since 2016 and half of 2016 and 2016 was sort of the launch year and and it, it just got going so it really hardly counted at all so we're talking about 4 years and generally speaking 20,000 views a day now on the site people tend to come back several times a day and i'm putting it out uh, uh, at least four or five stories a day. They aren't all from me. I know we've got a few columnists who are writing regularly and I appreciate them so much there. It's nice to get that extra perspective. But uh, I just looked at our Alexa ranking today and amongst all websites in the United States, Must Read Alaska ranks at 17,669. Now that's wow. high, right? The best the best ranking website is you know Google, number one, and YouTube, <laughs> That you know, those are the ones. But right. but when you think about okay you're seventeen thousand that's not that great but when you think about all the websites you're competing against you're competing against Disneyland Department of Interior and Sea World and Los Angeles County Health Department and you you yeah. I mean I'm all of about it all websites and there are millions of websites in America so to be in the top twenty thousand even is great and we have now broken down to um, you know to, to seventeen thousand. And we really have, uh, in terms of our global ranking, we are at 50% of what the ADN is. And so, the uh, Anchorage Daily News, of course, been around since the beginning of time, and um, or the, the mastodons at least. And <laughs> Must Read Alaska has only been around for since 2017. So to be able to have half their their traffic is great. So anyway, not about that.
0: Well, hey, we keep uh, we keep doing what we're doing. Who knows? It's the sky's the limit for Must Read Alaska. And again, we just want to thank all of our listeners our readers, and obviously our supporters in that. Thank you so much. So we're just trying to get to 25,000 likes by the end of the month, and I think we can do it. And we're getting like 50,000, or sorry, wow, we're getting 50 new likes a day, it sounds like. So we're well on our way there. Um, But if you share and you like the stuff and it shows up in your feed and others who you're friends with, we'll definitely be able to get there. But let's get to the news today. And you know, we've kind of known this for a while, but it was made official. Murkowski formally announces her campaign. Uh, she's had some, um, obviously, there's been things of brewing here in Alaska. Her her campaign and her election team and, and all of that, her campaign team has been kind of getting together, doing some some fundraising, but it was officially announced. And just general thoughts, you've been in Alaska for a while. Obviously, you know Murkowski, you know her father who was in there before her. Kind of give us... Where do you see the landscape right now in Alaska, particularly in the Senate race?
1: So with all people who get into politics, they don't ever want to give it up. I mean, power is a wonderful thing to have, I guess. And and so for Lisa Murkowski, she was named by her father in 2002 to finish out his term. He, was, uh, he won the governorship in 2002 and he needed to sort of appoint somebody. So she became it and his daughter became it. She was in the legislature at the time. It hadn't been in too long. She'd been in there for a few years, but that was um, that has always rubbed some people the wrong way because it didn't seem that it was fair that he gave it to his daughter. But over time, it's, it's been 19 years, and she's had I think four full terms now. She lost the primary to Joe Miller. You'll remember that, and then she ran a writing campaign and won against Joe Miller, and then during in the 2016 campaign, she really didn't have any legitimate opponents, the Republican party seemed to make its peace with her a little bit. After mm-hmm. that, things went downhill for her, her vote on Brett Kavana- Kavanaugh for, uh, against Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court, her continuous stance against Donald Trump really irritated Republicans. And she, she had so many things that she did that irritated them that finally in March of, of this year, they actually censured her. And they said, you are no longer welcome in our party, we'd like you to change parties. We don't want you to run as a, a Republican and we're going to f- go find somebody else to run as a Republican. And that's what their censure said. It was very, very clear request for her to just go away. And so then in, in summer, Kelly Chebacca, well, it was actually in late March, Kelly Chebacca popped up and said, I'm, I'm running. Kelly was the commissioner of administration for Dunleavy at the time. And uh, she, she announced on the last two days of March. And then by June, she had already nailed down the, uh, the endorsement of the Alaska Republican Party. And so she's got the party endorsement. But of course, now we, we know that it is a, an open primary. There is no more mm-hmm. Republican ballot. That's been taken away from the Republicans by ballot measure two to have just one ballot and all candidates go on that ballot. And then the top four who win in August they go forward to the November ballot. That ballot is a rank choice voting ballot. So we've got a real kind of a a Hydra thing going on. We we do just straight voting at the primary, but you don't get a separate Republican ballot. When you get to November, you're going to pick your favorite one, two, three, and four. So that ballot measure- You hope you
0: vote one, two, three, four.
1: Yeah, you, yeah, you, you, you know, we've never done this before, so there's a lot of doubts, and people right now in Alaska have grave, grave concerns about the sanctity of election. I am hearing from readers over and over again that this is their number one concern for Alaska is whether or not we <laughs> have good elections that they can they can have faith in, and many of them do not. And I'd say the Republicans particularly are concerned. The mail-in ballots seem to be fraught with all kinds of problems, so you're seeing that on the local level. Anchorage elections are not held in high regard by conservatives. And now Juneo elections are going full mail-in election, just like Anchorage. And um, people are pretty concerned because these mail-in elections, they have a lot of problems with them. You know, Scott, you've heard about how in Juneo during their last election, they had over 200 ballots that didn't get counted because, well, lo and behold, the post office didn't put a cancellation on them.
0: Well, I, I told the audience this uh, yesterday, I believe. Uh, I saw a wild kind of graphic GIF type of stuff that actually showed in the 2016 election, if you only counted the mail-in ballots through all 50 states, Hillary would have won hands down every state with the exception of one. So, I mean, what we're seeing, what that tells me, that graphic tells me, is that the majority of those who vote using mail-in voting are Democrat. And, And that's a, I mean, obviously that is a benefit to mail-in voting is for the Democratic Party.
1: Especially when you have things like ballot harvesting. So when people are, are brought in from out of state to go door to door and say, have you mailed your ballot yet? And the person will say, well, not yet. And they said, well, why don't you just vote it right now and you, I'll take it to the mailbox for you. And then the person who they give it to, the the harvester, they have a list. They know whether or not this person calculates as a Democrat or Republican, you know, liberal or conservative. They know a lot about the ballot that they just received. They may not be able to see what that ballot is marked, but they certainly know whether or not to mail it. They know whether or not they want to actually have it submitted. So there's some real doubts about uh, how, how this mail-in is working because the ballot harvesting is becoming such a huge concern. And when Mar- Americans have no faith in their election system, that really is the end at that point because mm-hmm. that's all, that all is all this is about is a representative democracy. And we don't have faith that we are actually electing leaders. Like, I don't know, Joe Biden. I mean, did he really win the popular vote? I don't know. Hard to say. 80, I mean, 80
0: plus million. Wow. That's, I mean.
1: Yeah. Nobody's gotten you, you that know, ever.
0: Well, listen, when your former uh, running mate, Obama in 28, 2008, got the most ever at 68 or 69 million and you you get 10 to 12 more million votes. That is,
1: yeah.
0: that's something. That is something. Yeah, and,
1: and, and you can't even get anybody, like you can't get 10 people to come to your rallies and yet you're getting 80 million votes. I don't know. That's the kind of thing that really concerns people. And so we've got to have sanctity in the elections. So Murkowski's, um people, they put together the ballot measure two so that she wouldn't have to face the Republican primary because she's got a lot of critics on that level. She would not be able to win a Republican primary at this point. So they went ahead and they, they promoted this to Alaskans last year. and Alaskans said, yeah, it sounds like more choice to me. More choice is good choice. But the uh, reality is it does open the door for her to get a win. And and remember, she has the support of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, which is the big cash committee from mm-hmm. the uh, Republicans in the Senate. And uh, Rick Scott, Mitch McConnell, they're all in behind her. So she's got the, the biggest option of support. And uh, and Kelly Chewbacca is coming in with the support of donald trump so this is quite a battle royale between murkowski and trump is what this is shaping up to be
0: and, and it looks like cash will be king at this point i know murkowski is leading in the actual hmm. uh fundraising mechanism but you know kelly's not that far behind she's behind but she's not that far behind and i remember maybe our, our our listeners and our readers will remember in june you wrote an article and i think the title is something like actually right here new Democratic poll shows Republican Kelly Chewbacca beating Murkowski and Gross in ranked choice voting scenario. Now, this was back in June when you wrote this, but it does show Kelly uh, beating Murkowski and Gross. Gross came in second, but Markowski came in a distant third there. And uh, I'm wondering if that's going to hold or as we see this uh, campaign unfold, we're going to see a lot more um, kind of narrowing of that gap that was that was there in early June when this poll was taken for about just over a thousand people in Alaska who were likely voters in the state. So uh, right now it looks like, you know, Chewbacca is, is ahead. I think people like her, her youth, her energy. Um, but then again, you know, Murkowski is kind of a seasoned, uh, seasoned campaigner and, and I'm sure she's got a few tricks up her sleeve as well. Um, oh, she's got
1: a, an enormously talented team. And as I mentioned in the story I wrote earlier this week, when they, they opened up a super PAC here in well here in Alaska and the person who opened it up was Jim Lotzfeld. And Jim Lotsfeld Strategies, longtime Alaskan, his dad was in the legislature. He has been a political strategist and consultant all his life. His main clients are the unions, union candidates, big union candidates, Democrats, and Lisa Murkowski. And so he's he's got some sort of affinity with Lisa. He likes her. And, and of course, she's a very, very moderate um, Republican. She's not a conservative. She's a Republican moderate. And so um, he has... Uh, linked arms with her just to, to create a pack, a super pack for her. And that super pack will be the attack uh, feature that will go after Kelly Chewbacca. And they are going to go after her because she, although she was born and raised here, she just moved back to the state a few years ago after she went off to college. And then she had a, a career in government back in DC. So she went back mm-hmm. and tried to clean up the swamp, but um, then came home to become the commissioner of administration for Dunleavy, and a lot of people wanted her to run because she she is very focused, and very hardworking, and represents their values well. So this this pack is going to go after her for not having lived here long enough, and that that will be a legitimate attack for on her. And then um, they will. It's interesting to see that they are located on the sixth floor of the Peterson Tower building, the exact same location as Senator Murkowski's official office, and the exact mm-hmm. same location as Scott Kendall, who engineered ballot measure two, the ranked choice voting, and who was also her uh, her campaign attorney back in 2016, so he's very close to her. So you've got you've got Markowski's official office that taxpayers pay for next door. You have her campaign attorney, and next door to that you have her super PAC. My goodness, the Peterson Tower sixth floor is one powerful place.
0: <laughs> Listen, you know Scott T- Scott Kendall is just a bastion of conservatism, doesn't he? So it makes sense that he would be on a uh, a Republican uh, campaign right now. But we won't go into that. Yeah, it'll be interesting that that is a powerhouse uh, a floor. But you know, one of the things that's really interesting about this, as we look across the country right now, is is sort of what's coming out of a lot of these now. Uh, early on races right so we're not at the midterm elections yet but what was really interesting was the Virginia governor's race and what kind of came out of that and on Must Read Alaska today uh, we had a columnist Lee Sloan kind of give us a guest you know column about parents rights and education shall not be infringed as the title of it from her and she really breaks down a uh, important aspect of what happened in that governor's race. And what happened was, is that you had the incumbent Terry McAuliffe going against uh, this businessman who didn't really have anything to do with politics up until recently, um, Youngkin. And what ended up happening is Glenn Youngkin comes in and really goes after a specific topic in, in what I called the culture war topic at the time, which was education. And let's just set this up for... Uh, many of the um, many of the uh, listeners here is that this what was going on throughout the country was this school board meeting and the, the heated parents who were upset at what was being taught in school. So you have this collision of culture right now, right at the nexus of this gubernatorial race um, in Virginia. And what ended up happening was that was really it seems like through all the stats and, and looking at all of the exit polling and all that the education portion of this race seemed to be the real linchpin to Glunkett, uh, Yunkin winning. And so she writes about this in the column, does a great job talking a lot about how Yunkin really keyed in on that early before it was a real factor. And what really brought him to the end and through the finish line was this, this focus on parents' rights and education. And so, you know, I would suggest you going to mustreadalaska.com the column is Lee Sloan, parents' rights and education shall not be infringed. But just as a 36,000-foot a view, Suzanne, looking at the Virginia race, what did what were your thoughts on it? Obviously, it was a great use by the Youngkin campaign to go after that specific topic. But just in general, what are, what are your thoughts on how it went? And what does this look like for Alaska here in the future?
1: Well, again, Lee Sloan's column is really good. She talks about how... So how Terry McAuliffe, who was the very comfortable Democrat, nobody ever thought that he could lose in Virginia. Virginia hasn't elected a Republican in over a decade. But what he said is, is he, he, he really stumbled when he said uh, that he didn't believe that a school system, that, that parents should have anything to do with their schools, uh, the curriculum or anything else. When he said that parents should, should leave the education to the school systems, that was where the two lines on approval rating and disapproval rating sort of, they just all of a sudden crossed. That was the the dividing line on about October 28th. All of a sudden. Yeah. his, His
0: quote was, his quote was this. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach was his quote.
1: Right. That's what it was. Thanks for that. And so that's when all of a sudden it changed. Everybody went, oh, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? Because we've all seen the Loudoun County. We've seen the boys, the the boy raping the girl in the girl's bathroom because he was allowed to be a transgender or to present as a girl and use the girl's bathroom. Um, At least that's the allegation. We've seen parents around the country very, very upset with critical race theory being taught to their children. In other words, children as young as first grade are being taught, you know, in what ways are you privileged and how does that make you a bad person? You know, that is the kind of thing that parents don't want their children to be uh, propagandized to. And so, so this has become an electrifying issue for this coming year. And I really think, Scott, that education is going to be one of the number one issues and you're seeing it in, uh, in Anchorage, at least. You're seeing more parents go to school board meetings. I don't know mm-hmm. that you're seeing it in other in other places. Some places like Juneau and so forth, they're not even having public meetings. They have them all on Zoom. So you, you know, it, what it it does is it prevents parents from organizing because right. parents can only like get on Zoom, and so you you're not quite seeing it in those bastions of liberalism. You're not seeing the conservatives able to mobilize, but in Anchorage, they mobilized greatly. Anyway, so Lee Sloan mentioned that on Monday she she is having this. Um, parents rights, uh, parents rights and education event at the Lusack Library, and I encourage everyone to go to it. I will be there myself. So if you want to go to the Lusack Library at 36th and Denali on Monday, uh, check out Lise Sloan's column, she's got all the details in there. And I will be there and I'd love to meet you there and hear uh, from you as well. It's at 6pm. It's on the fourth floor in the Commons area of the library. So let's go and talk about education on Monday.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and there'll be some. There'll be some great people there. I mean, our mayor will be there from Anchorage, Mayor Dave Bronson, uh, the newly elected MatSU School Board member, Jubilee Underwood, uh, some home educators, uh, Stephanie Taylor, who we had on the podcast Monday, will be there. So there's going to be a lot of people there, uh, particularly on the school boards that are going to be very interesting to see and hear from, because at the at the moment now, uh, you wrote about this before. Uh, I believe it was this week you wrote about it. But there was an actual uh, meeting of the school boards, correct? That happened this week?
1: Well, that was interesting. It was, uh, I think it was uh, uh, over the weekend last week, the, uh, the Alaska Association of Alaska School Boards uh, had their meeting here in Anchorage at the Hilton, and there was a guy who went in and filmed a little bit of it before, before he got kicked out. And he heard very clearly and was able to capture lots of, uh, of still photography of the documents they're using. And I've got those documents, I haven't been able to write about it fully, but I will tell you mm-hmm. that the, the theme of the conference was equity. And equity is, is a sort of a look-alike word for critical race theory. So we do want to provide education to children where they're at and help improve their you know, their skills as they go along. Their social skills, their math skills, their reading skills, their, uh, their ability to comprehend and do uh, science and so forth. We want to meet them where they're at if we if we aren't meeting them where they're at, then we can't kind of pull them along. But equity is a different thing. Equity is giving advantages to some kids and disadvantaging others. In fact, if you have a gifted student, equity is really not good for your gifted student because the emphasis is now away from gifted programs. And I realized that not all of us had gifted kids. My kids weren't in the gifted program. Some are, and parents who have gifted children are very passionate wanting to make sure that those kids don't get bored and mm-hmm. don't fall behind just or, or or move into bad behaviors because they are being kept back. So that's that is a real concern. And those parents have talked to me about the concerns for their children. So uh, but equity is a is kind of a, a way of saying critical racery without saying it, you know, without saying it out loud. Right. Yeah. And uh, and the Anchorage School Board president Margot Bellamy, Bellamy gave a long impassioned Uh, case for why the school districts really need to focus on on systemic racism as one of their key you know things that they do and and quite honestly with the with the results that we have in anchorage schools in almost all schools around the state except for Mm -hmm. a a very few schools that are, are doing well you know the fact that they're dealing with this equity and systemic racism stuff when All kids, black, white, native, Filipino, all kids in in Anchorage schools, in Alaska schools are are not doing as well as they could. Now, when I went to school here in Alaska, it's going to date me a little bit. We had the number two schools in the nation. And now we have the 49th.
0: Well, listen, I was going to, yeah, I was going to say we had Quinn Townsend from the uh, Alaska Policy Forum on last week, and we we addressed this topic, this very topic. There was an article that, the Alaska uh, Policy Forum wrote called Peaks Performance 2001. And I'd recommend you going and reading it. Uh, It's on their website, right in the homepage. Um, But essentially it said this, in 2001, the actual proficiency uh, across the state from grades, grade levels, I believe it's fourth or third through eighth or ninth. But we're residing uh, mathematics wise at 32% in language at forty percent. I mean, these are not good numbers. We're constantly in the lower twenty five percent, or twenty fifth percentile in the nation in both of those English and mathematics. And yet, what we're focusing on, we're focusing on something that is not actually going to help these numbers increase. Not going to help our kids actually be able to be effective learners. There's a uh, uh, a actual um, what's the word I'm looking, research out there that says if kids have trouble reading after third grade, and Quinn talks about this on the podcast, I'd recommend you going back and listen to it. Uh, their likelihood of being successful in reading after third grade d- dramatically decreases, and we're seeing this in Alaska. And so, yeah, I think a lot of parents are just done talking about things that are irrelevant currently when it comes to our Anchorage and Alaska school systems, when we're constantly ranked, 50th, 49th, 48th, 47th, up to 45th, which is nothing to brag about when it comes to English and math. I think parents want their kids to be educated. They want to be educated in the areas that they need to be successful in life, not necessarily being thrown at and being told that this person is a racist because of their skin color, uh, which they can't help that they're born with. Um, We're seeing a lot of really damaging and Not great things coming out of other school districts across the nation. And parents are bringing, uh, I've seen videos of parents bringing explicit materials for their second grader into the school board meeting and asking why my student, why my child is reading about this sexually explicit material, or why is my child who happens to be white being told that they're racist and that they're Mm -hmm. privileged and that they should not have the privilege and feel bad about it. I think what we're doing is we're creating much, so much more divide than we are actually bringing people together in this scenario. Meanwhile, our kids can't read, they're not very good in math, and they're still struggling with that regardless of color, like you said, regardless of their race, they're still struggling with mathematics and English, and I think that's what we need to focus on. Go ahead.
1: This is going to be the year—the year of the school board. Twenty absolutely it's going to be the year of the school board. It's going to be the big issue, and and the trick for conservatives who want to go return to a more traditional education where kids are really learning and they're not being um, taught all these sort of sort of soft social engineering stuff is. Are conservatives going to have more than one candidate on the ballot for each seat? Because if you have one mm-hmm. more than one candidate, the incumbent wins. And right now, the Anchorage School Board is so far left. And there's just one person on that whole school board who is reasonable. He's not right wing. He's just reasonable. His name is Dave Donnelly. He's got one more term and he doesn't actually come up for reelection until 2023. But man, we could really send that guy some help. Because if you tune into those school board meetings, you'll be appalled at what you're hearing. And I don't even know how he maintains his sanity being on that school board. But we've got to figure out how uh, to prevent the, uh, conservatives from splitting the vote.
0: Well, listen, I can tell you one thing, and a lot of people might not remember this, but Governor Dunleavy was actually ahead of his time in this uh, in this realm when he introduced Senate Bill 89. And, and essentially, Senate Bill 89 is called. The parental rights and education bill and uh he did this before he was governor he was on the legislature, and did you want to talk to a little bit about what this was because this was way ahead of his time considering where we're at now am i not mistaken yes
1: yes this was really interesting i just found this the other day and i'm glad you brought it up because i've been meaning to write about this senate bill 89 i believe it's 2017 and he was a senator back then it was parental rights and education and i don't think this thing passed but you are absolutely right he was way ahead of his time. And now we see everybody catching up to it. And policies must accommodate following parents will be given the chance to review the content of any activity class assessment or test required by the department. And the absence cannot be counted as unlawful, Um, or or I'm sorry, they can withdraw a child from any standards-based assessment test required by the department and the absence cannot be counted as unlawful. There's a bunch of things in here. I'm gonna do a story on this. And uh, hold me to this promise that you will let, I will have this story up by Saturday, no later than yeah, Saturday.
0: Absolutely. You're absolutely right. You read through the bill, and it, it does put a lot of the uh, abilities in whether or not parents want their kids to uh, be involved in certain activities uh, in the rights of the parents. And, and I think this is. And I don't know what, you know, at the time the senator, but now Governor Dunleavy was thinking. But we talked about this on the Quinn Townsend podcast, which is about school choice and the ability for parents to have the option to choose what type of education the kids want. I think one of the things that when I talk to parents who put their kids, particularly in public schools, Christian or otherwise, is they want the values that are being taught at home to mirror the values that are being taught in the school. And so that leaves Parents, the option, whether you're a conservative parent, you're a liberal parent, you get to decide where your kid is going to get that reinforcement where they spend the majority of their day. They spend the majority of their day at school. So if parents want to have the same values that are reinforced at school and home, uh, and it happens to be that it's not in the school district they reside, many feel uh, that they should have the right to send their kids to the school that reinforces those values, which includes Moral values, educational values, social values, whatever it may be, and so um, I applaud the governor. The governor was clearly ahead of his time, considering where we are right now. Back in 2017, you said, "Yeah,
1: 2017," but I think this is where people are now, and and so we'll we'll continue to talk about this as time goes on. But I know that you're coming to the end of this podcast, and I, I just want to make sure that we we let everybody know that, of course, must read Alaska dot com is where they can go and find out more stories i'll have a story up today about how much the anchorage school district is paying the alaska school board association every year and people will be shocked because this is their tax money and then tomorrow wow. a, no later than tomorrow i'll have that column up about um the um senate bill 89 back in 2017 and whether or not it's time to bring that back up and try to get that move through and what we can do to you know get that going so
0: Absolutely. So before we head on out, the last thing I want to talk to you about, I just want to get your opinion on this. The two ordinances that the assembly passed here recently, that essentially go above and beyond what the legislation should do and and kind of reaches right into the executive branch. Do you want to give us a little bit of a rundown on that for those of you who are not familiar?
1: You know, this is one of those things where you've got, uh, you've got an assembly that is really unhappy that that conservatives and normal people voted for a mayor that they don't like. They don't like the mayor, they've made no bones about it. And so they've got two ordinances that they passed this week to grab more power for themselves. The first ordinance is that they control the room that they are meeting in. Well, that is actually a separation of powers issue because in fact, the charter says, and and uh, also the, the, state, the state statute says that, the mayor has control over all property in the city, and of course, property includes the room that they meet in. Now, this is a battle over whether or not people have to put in ma- on masks, whether or not they can eliminate keep people out of the rooms, which they've been trying to do. They've been eliminating the public from the meetings. Now they're back down to, uh, you know, like 50% capacity, or 150 people in the meeting, and they and they are posting these big burly guards that are. Uh, manhandling people and I just saw a video the other day they're manhandling somebody who was at that meeting so they've got um they've got an issue there where whatever meet whatever room they're in they say that they control I don't know if they actually do that would be surprising to me the other one that they have here is that they want they or they've passed an ordinance to make sure that the mayor has his nominees for directors of departments In front of them for approval or disapproval almost immediately, and this is a little bit difficult to do because a lot of these guys actually you get appointed, you have to go to an ethics class, and you have to kind of have an ethics review to make sure you don't have any conflicts of interest, and that you have to declare, and there is a process. But they did not like that he that uh, the mayor appointed Sammy Graham as the librarian when she didn't have a master's in library science, and then when she kind of they they voted her down, and he appointed her chief of staff, which is not a A position that is goes to them for confirmation, but then he appointed Judy Ellidge. She also doesn't have a library science degree, and so now they're saying, whoever you appoint, we want to see them immediately for confirmation. They don't want these people sitting in these in these positions, and this will come up for Joe um, Gerace, Gerace, who's been appointed as the health department, and they're meeting in executive session today because they've got an anonymous complaint against him saying he is not qualified for the job and that it's something that he you know he's maybe in this anonymous complaint he was too forceful in something or he was a bully or something and but now they're going to they're taking anonymous complaints as their reason for not confirming people actual anonymous complaints it's absolutely outrageous but that's the kind of thing that they are doing to hamstring this mayor make him unsuccessful and let me tell you back when when Bill Walker became governor you kind of want him to succeed because if he succeeds the state succeeds but not at the expense of your your civil liberties or the economy when he was building the you know the gas line to China essentially and this is the same thing they they're make, making actions right now that will make Anchorage fail even harder because they're making it impossible for the mayor to succeed. So there is a, I call it war of the roses. They're, they're going to be swinging from the chandeliers pretty soon here with bayonets.
0: Yeah, uh, I loved what you wrote in your article in regards to uh, how, how disingenuous can an assembly be to say, hey, listen, this pandemic, we need to, you know, they, they do the whole emergency ordinance Deal, and then they will continually postpone an appointment of an individual. And like you said before, based on an anonymous complaint, uh, seems it seems like it's, it's politics as usual. And so I went through all that, so I won't give my opinions. I, I decided that yesterday, but it surely does frustrate. And you're absolutely right. Right now, Anchorage is suffering because all they're focused on is being petty and doing these three and four-year-old games as opposed to getting in in doing what they need to do to make sure that Anchorage and the municipality uh, has a budget ready, that people are being taken care of, and that we're going to be able to move forward as a city and actually be successful as opposed to what we're doing right now and looking like children. And it's an embarrassment. It truly plus, is embarrassing.
1: Plus the assembly is now is no longer something that's meeting a couple of times a week or have a committee meeting and a regular meeting every week. They are meeting every day. They're spending eight hours a day As an assembly meeting on certain things, they have just uh, right now, they have a a homelessness with lived experience committee, and they have their ethics committee. And this committee, between all their committees and their regular meetings and their work sessions, these guys are actually holding down full time jobs as assembly members. That is not what we intended. We intended them to be an appropriating body, not a legislative, not a mini legislature.
0: Yeah, I would I would assume that those who in Anchorage that founded the charter and wrote the charter and, and really uh, set up the the government would be appalled at what they're seeing right now. The gross true. misuse of power and uh, the idea that just because you didn't win, that now you're going to make the incoming administration uh, essentially paralyzed by this ridiculous.
1: Paralyzed you know, is I'm the word, not, Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Suzanne, thanks so much for joining with me today. I always love having the conversation with you. You are a beacon of knowledge and I learned more than I actually uh, will ever be able to know just because I think I've said this to you before. You'll forget more than I'll know about Alaska period, but I do love uh, your leadership. I do love working with you and with John. And like I always say, I ride the coattails of great people and it's totally fun to do this with you. Uh, I'm proud of our listeners and our readers and our supporters. You guys have made Must Read Alaska's podcast special, and it is growing, and it is becoming uh, a force in terms of news here in Alaska. And I would say we have a lot of people outside of the state that are really interested in what's going on. So thank you. If you haven't had a chance, go ahead and go to mustreadalaska.com. If you want to help us make sure that we continue to provide this great content, Suzanne is tireless and just continually moves uh, content out for everybody to read at mustreadalaska.com. Go to mustreadalaska.com, top right hand corner. That's the donation button. Every bit counts, and it helps because we are doing our very best to make sure you get a full, well rounded news narrative uh, and not just rely on the mainstream media. Also, we're trying to hit 25,000 before the end of the month, and you can help us do that by sharing, liking, uh, and getting your friends who are interested in Alaska news to like our page as well. And uh, if you're not there, subscribe at YouTube, MeWe, Parlor, Twitter, The Works. It's all under the same handle, which is Must Read Alaska. That's all one word. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining with us. And until next time, take care.